All right, hey, good morning, church. Good to have every one of you with us here today and uh, worshiping with us. And uh, man, we got to say good morning out to our Stone Canyon and Vertigris families. All right, would you welcome them into our services with us together here today? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I got to uh, hang out with our Vertigris family last week, and they're awesome. They're doing great. So love you all out there. So, hey, uh, man, uh, what a crazy week. Rain has been nonstop. We'll take it though, right? And, uh, uh, man, we, uh, over the last several months, or last several weeks, we've been in this series on together and uh, talking about our need uh, to be together as, as a church, and today we're going to be talking about uh, our um, responsibility together that we have as the church collectively to, to pour into and raise up the next generation. And, you know, this week, uh, we, we lost someone in our nation um, that has exemplified this in Billy Graham, right? Uh, and man, talk about somebody who's had an impact on the generations, uh, not only himself, but he, he created a ministry and, and his son, and he's passed it down, and we've, we've just seen an incredible impact. And, and so this has uh, been kind of a crazy week, even with that news that, that came. And so, in, in spite of that, you think about all the things that Billy Graham has accomplished and, and all the things, uh, the ministry, really, that he's been able to, to, uh, to create, yet still today, and many others, I mean, not just Billy Graham, but you look at the church as a whole in, the nation, in our nation and, and around the world, you hear uh, stories of how the gospel is spreading and churches seem to be getting larger and larger, and you, you hear some of these things, but... Some would look at the church today, especially in, in America, and say the church is in crisis. The, the, especially when it comes to the next generation, right? Because if you've, if you've heard the studies, if you've, if you've seen the statistics that are out there about the next generation and how many of them, though raised up in the church, are leaving the church, right? Right? Uh, I've heard it as high as 85%, as low as 60%, but somewhere in that gap, we, we have something somewhat accurate of how many of our young people hit 18, 19 years old, and, and then they, they leave the church. They don't just leave our homes and go off to school, but they leave the church. They never connect, reconnect with the church, many of them actually leaving their faith in God whenever they leave the church. And so, again, people would say, well, man, we're in crisis. But, what, but you hear that and you think, but how can that be? Right? I mean, look at how much we've invested in that generation. Look at our, the ministries that we have, our student ministries, our elementary ministries. I mean, our early childhood ministries from the very beginning, we're, we're pouring into these kids. And, and why are they leaving? And a lot of people are asking that question right now in, in churches and in church leadership. And if you've got kids or grandkids or great-grandkids, that's probably been one of your concerns as well. Is, is my child going to have a faith of their own that when they leave my home, they will stand upon that faith and in that relationship with Jesus, right? You see, church, we have a responsibility to intentionally pour into the next generation to prepare them for life to come. 
Now, you've, you've probably heard a lot about the millennial generation, right? Not all good, but they're great. I, I, I love millennials. Drive me nuts sometimes. We have them on staff, but, but I love them. They have, there's so many things about them that, that we can benefit from if we can tap into them and utilize the gifts that they have. But we're, we're dealing with a new generation today. It's called Generation Z. That's, that are, that, that's our young people that were born between uh, 1999 and 2015, give or take. And that generation, Generation Z, is not the, the new millennials. Uh, some have tried to term them. No, they are their own generation. They have some of their own characteristics. And there's been studies already done about them. How are we supposed to intentionally pour into these kids that, that again, uh, 99 to 2015, there are toddlers up through our, our, our seniors in high school, right in that stage. And, and in the studies that I've done, here, here's just a couple of the things about this generation that we're trying to reach. 50, 57% of them look at a screen four or more hours a day. 57% look at a screen, a phone, iPad, computer, TV, whatever, for four or more hours a day. Now, break that down. Half of that number, okay, is eight or more hours a day. All right? Think about this generation. It's easy to go, oh, I can't believe that. How could they do that? Okay, uh, number one, how many hours do you spend on your phone, you know, doing that stuff, all right? Okay, if you go to your phone, I know an iPhone, you can go and you can track your usage. You might be amazed just how much you look at it, all right? Uh, I'm talking to myself there. But think about this, okay? When they were born, we already had smartphones. I mean, they, they, they've grown up with it. I mean, that's just been their life, all right? And, and probably a lot of what they do now, they, they're emulating what they've seen in, in us, some degree. And so another name that's been given to, to uh, Generation Z is screenagers, right? Because they spend so much time in front of the screen. Catch this, 4%, it's a little number, right? 4% have a biblical worldview. Think on that one, all right? 4% have a biblical worldview. Now, you back up a little bit, millennials, it's around 8 or 9%. Uh, Gen X, it's around, um, I think, 14% range. Uh, of the boomers is around 23%. I mean, that's, that's the numbers, okay? Do you, do you see what's happening? Okay. Are the generations, does it seem like the generations are doing a good job and in, in instilling truth in our, our young people? Maybe not. 33% believe that gender is determined by how a person feels inside. Hear that? 33%. Again, that's one of those that go, oh, I can't believe that. Okay. Think about the culture that our kids have grown up in and the confusion of what's out there and all that they are hearing and seeing being pumped into them and pumped into their ears. Okay. There is a lot of confusion when it comes to gender right now. 43% believe happiness is defined by financial success. One of the things, interesting things, uh, millennials, one of the uh, key characteristics about millennials is 
that they are very cause-driven, okay? That's why you see um, many companies out there that connect a cause to their product, right? Like Tom's Shoes, buy a pair, give a pair type of a thing, all right? And so there's, there's this cause-drivenness among the millennials. And, and again, that's one of those things, man, if we can capture that. They've got passion to, to reach people and, and connect with people. Generation Z, it's not, they're, they're saying that's not the case. They're no longer cause-driven. They, they're out to, to advance and to have financial success. They're going to be driven towards that. And for some, it's like, yeah, all right, we're going to have a driven generation. Okay, there could be some positives in that, okay? And some of this, they say, is coming off of the recession that they saw mom and dad struggling so much through the re- recent recession. And, and so they say, I don't want that to be me. And so they're going to go after it and everything. And so there's some positive that can come out of that as far as um, capturing that passion and that drivenness for God's sake. But it can also, as many of us know, it can also lead you down the wrong path and it doesn't lead to happiness like the study shows that they believe. And so this is this next generation. Our, our student ministers, uh, James, Nathan, and several others, just got back from a conference, and, and part of that conference was, how do we minister to this generation? And, and because we've got to figure it out, all right? We've got to figure it out. Because we have that responsibility. Together we have a responsibility. Today I want to say it like this. Reaching the next generation must be a priority of our generations. Okay? Our generations. And we have multiple generations represented here today. And every one of us have a responsibility together. To pour into, to reach, to train up the next generation. Psalm chapter 78 is where I want to spend most of our time at today. Psalm 78, we'll bump over to Deuteronomy 6 a little bit as well today, but Psalm 78, if you'll get there. Uh, The the writer of Psalm 78 is uh, a man by the name of Asaph. He was known to be both a poet and a prophet. He wrote 12 of the psalms that we find in, in, the, in the book of Psalms, and, and so we're, we're going to dive into this one today, at least the first part of it, because he uh, lays out for us this challenge that we're talking about here today. He was in the time of King David. Uh, we know that he was uh, one of uh, David's top three uh, orchestra players or, or chief musicians that he had that uh, David had and uh, and he was a, a Levite and he would have been one that would have uh, led the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem I mean th- he's one of those guys all right and so he speaks some words of truth and challenge to us today L- look at verses one through three with me real quick here it says this give ear O my people to my teaching incline your ears to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth In a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known. Hear that. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. All right. So he begins with these first three verses uh, verses here saying basically this. Listen up. Incline your ears towards me, what I'm saying. Literally in the Hebrew, stretch out your ears towards my words, all right? It's, it's kind of like when you're a parent and you look at your kid and you go, you listen to me. Anybody ever done that, right? Okay, you're not wanting them to just hear your syllables, right? 
You want them to obey what you're saying. And, and that's what Asaph is basically saying here. You need to listen and follow up. And follow me, what I'm telling you right now. Listen up. Look to the person next to you and say, listen up. Man, that was with such passion. All right, good. All right, so we're all going to listen up here today as we listen to the words of Asaph. All right. What is it going to take for us to effectively raise up, pour into, train up the next generation of Jesus followers? That's really kind of the question I want us to, to answer today as we look at here. I think Asaph's going to lay, lay this out for us. What, what's it going to take? And I, There's two big things that I see through this text. The first thing is this. The next generation needs to know the stories. The next generation needs to know the stories. Going back to verse 3, the things, he says there, the things that we have heard and that we have known, we're going to pass down. We, he, he says there in verse 3, we've received them from our fathers, the, our, our ancestors have passed them down to us, and we are called to pass them down to the next generation. They need to know the story. Steph and I, we've, we're, kind of, we're, we're pretty blessed in that we have grandparents, grandmas, both of us had grandmas who, who desired to tell their stories. Both of them created books with, uh, with just stories of their families and, and Steph's grandma, just big old thick book with all kinds of newspaper clippings and everything about their family and, and, and history and, and it's pretty awesome. My grandma wrote a book and, and I got it right here and, and uh, just reflections is what she called it and where she just wrote her story and she wanted us to know how she was raised up especially during the Great Depression. She wanted to pass down her stories, and, and she, uh, she had dreamed of writing a book. She passed away in 2011, but in 2003, she, she had this uh, 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 printed up and, and given out to all the family, and I love to read through the stories, and there's some cool stories in here, and she's talking about whenever she grew up, and they didn't have electricity, and they had, to, uh, they had a, a freshwater stream that they would keep their food in, and keep it cool there, and she talked about how they rented out lard, <laughs> you know, I love that story, she's talking about how they, how they took that, and, and rendered it out, and used it in so many things, and then she makes this comment, I love her comment, she says, uh, she goes, now, people today say that that's not healthy, and most of the things we did wasn't healthy. But I'm pretty sure we were a lot more healthy back then than people are today. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, Grandma. And uh, so, but uh, man, there's just I, I love to, to read her her stories of all the things that they encounter. She tells a story about uh, her and my grandpa. They got married in March, and the reason they got married in March is because that was garden making time. We're going to get married, and we're going to plant a garden, and we're going to actually have food, you know. It's like uh, they were very concerned, again, coming out of the Great Depression and all that was there, and, and uh, they're very concerned about their financial uh, standing, whether they'd be able to afford to get married. And so they had to, they had to produce food and for themselves. And so I love the stories. I, I love that she took the time to pass down the stories. And when you read through the pages of her book, it's not just stories about life, but she includes stories about faith. She includes her stories about coming to, coming to faith in Christ and, 
And in several places, she makes that statement of, to next generations, those reading her book, you need Jesus. <laughs> I love that about my grandma. Asaph understood the importance of passing down the stories as well. Look at verse 4 with me. He says this, we will not hide them. What's he talking about there? He's talking about those things that, that, they had, that he had heard and known, that they'd heard and known from their ancestors. We will not hide them, those stories, from their children. Who's their children? He's talking about the children of their ancestors. Interesting point here is that he could have said from our kids, but he says from their children, meaning we're all in this together. They're all our children. They're all our descendants, it's all our responsibility together to, to pour into them from their children. But tell, the, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. All those things that they had heard and that they had known, they are going to pass. He says, we've got to pass down to them these stories of God, his glorious deeds, his might, his wonders. I mean, you think about some of the Old Testament stories of God and his movement among his people, his deliverance out of Egypt and the crossing of the sea and the provision in the wilderness and just the conquering of kingdoms for them and advancing them into the promised land. I mean, you just think about all the stories. And if you remember those stories, how many times it was whenever they came to the end of a battle or end of an event, and what did you see the leaders do? We need to create a monument. We need, we need to stack up some stones here. So what? So we'll remember what God did here. And Asaph here, he says, we've got to pass on these stories. Both the stories that we have heard, those stories that have been passed down to us, but also the ones we have known. Stories that we've experienced. Parents, grandparents, can I tell you how important it is that you take time to highlight for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, the ways you've seen God move in your life. The ways that you, maybe you were going through a trial and God provided. The way you saw God's power on display in somebody's life answered prayer. Do you take time to, to share those stories, to slow down and, and and make sure your kids know about those stories, not just the ones that you've heard passed down from, from ancient times, but, but that the ones that you know because you were there and you saw it, you experienced it. And God worked in your life. We've got to pass down these stories to our kids. Moses speaks to this over in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He just gets through recounting all the things uh, that the Israelites have been through in the times of rebellion, and, and that he's just recounted that he's not going into the promised land. But then he comes to verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, and he says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget, here it is, you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children, and to their children after them. Moses says, don't forget these things. Don't forget these things that we have seen. Listen to what Moses told the Israelites. This is as he is establishing the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is right after they come out of Egypt, all right? It's before they even cross the sea. It's the day they come out, and they're establishing this 
this ceremony of remembrance, this feast of remembrance, so that they don't forget this, this feast of unleavened bread. And he says this, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. He says, when you do this feast, and typically it's a seven-day feast whenever, whenever the Jews celebrate this, and he says, I, I want you that you're having this feast and your child looks at you and says, why are we doing this? Why are we having this celebration? But you'll look at your child, your son, your daughter, and you'll say, because God led us out of Egypt. He delivered us. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was really a precursor to what we celebrate today in communion. That's why it's so important that we gather, we see that as a church, so important that we take time in our services to, to remember every week the story, not just, it's not a fairy tale story, a, the story of Jesus, God's Son, who came and gave his life for us, a sacrifice on the cross, so that we too might be delivered, right, from sin. And our kids need to know that story and hold on to that story and celebrate that story. We've got to pass down the stories to the next generation. The next generation also needs to know the truth. The next generation also needs to know the truth. We live in a culture right now, one of the big phrases you hear, fake news, right? I mean, you hear it all, you know, fake news out there. Our kids need to know the truth. They need to know how to spot truth, see truth, know truth, study truth. Young people today are questioning the existence of absolute truth more than any time in history, I'd say. Because there are so many things being pumped out there and told to them. And we've got to teach them the truth. Again, going back over to Psalm 78, look at verse 5 and 6 with me. He, being God, talking about he, God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. You hear that? From generation after generation, these things are supposed to be passed down. The testimony, when he speaks of testimony there, he's talking about those things that are taught about what is good and yet also what is harmful. The testimony that's been passed down. The law, when he talks about the law, that's more of a general word encompassing all of God's word. He says we've got to pass down this law that has been given to us. All of his commandments, all of his promises, all of his warnings. We've got to pass those down to the next generation. Listen to how Moses talks about it over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach them. He's talking about God's law, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Moses recognized the importance of us passing down the laws, the teaching of God to our kids so that they know truth and they can have a foundation to stand upon and build their life upon. And we've got to take that responsibility 
on. Listen, I believe that if we don't teach truth in a, and I believe in a relevant, systematic way to our upcoming generations, I believe they will treat the truth just like any other non-truth that is out there. And I think we see that happening today. They, you see a generation that's beginning to look at the Bible as just another fairy tale book, like the fairy tale books that they grew up reading about as a kid. And so we have to be intentional about teaching the truth to them and helping them to recognize and realize the validity of God's Word, this book that we have that we hold on to. And one of the beautiful things that we have today with technology is as you're reading stories, these stories of, of what God did, there's so many things that you can show them. You can pull up on the screen, hey, here's Mount Ebal, here's Mount si here's where here's where it happened. There's so many things in archaeology that backs up God's Word, and we can show them and give them that that background, that foundation, and say, look, this isn't a book of fairy tales. This is a historical document that documents the movement of God through this world, and, and He's a God that continues to work and move. We've got to take that responsibility on as parents and grandparents and as a church together. We've got to pass this truth on to them. Now, what is the intended result Maybe we need to ask that question because he's about to answer it. What's the intended result if we will intentionally pass on the stories and the truth? Look at verse 7 with me. It says this, so that, that's where he starts. We're going to pass on the stories, we're going to pass on the truth, so that they, the next generation, should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Three things that he gives there. Number one, they're going to set their hope in him. Do you know our kids are... Uh, you look around our nation right now, there are so many hopeless kids out there. You know the suicide rate for the uh, first time uh, in history, I believe, has now surpassed uh, the homicide rate of teenagers. It's now number three on the list of what's killing our teens, suicide. What's leading them to suicide? I'd say a big part of that's no hope. They're confused. We need to, we have to help them find their hope in God. The second thing is not only will they set their hope in God, but not, they won't forget the works of God. They won't forget the works of God, the ways that God moved. The, whether it's the works of God that we read about in God's Word, that we go back and they, can, they have this historical document and they, they now know that this happened, it happened. We have everything that backs up. The evidence is there, it backs it up. And so they have those stories. Or maybe it's even the stories that you've passed down to them from your life. And whenever they're going through a hard time and they're in need, they'll, maybe they'll remember, oh, I remember whenever Dad told me about the time whenever we didn't have any money and somebody showed up, gave us a bag of groceries, and God was there. Maybe he'll be there for me now, and they'll hold on to those stories, and they'll remember the works of God. And then lastly, he says, and then they will keep his commandments. They will live an obedient life life to him and they, because they will have discovered because they've seen it in you that following God's way is the best way 
Now, if we fail, if we fail as a generation to pass it on, we'll be just like some of the Israelites. And Asaph points that out. Look at verse 8. He gives some more results of, of what'll happen. He says this, and they should not be like their fathers. They won't, they won't be like the previous generations, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Go on to verse 9 and 10. The Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned back on the day of battle. I mean, they were ready to go. They had bows in hand. They were ready to go, but they instead turned away from battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works the stories, and the wonders that he had shown them. See, Asaph is pointing out the failure of Israel. Though they were armed and ready, they disobeyed God, and they forgot all that God had done. They turned and ran, maybe thinking about Moses and his generation who was stubborn and rebellious. We talked about that earlier. Maybe thinking about Joseph's generation. You think about Joseph, you think, man, Joseph was awesome. I mean, he was a leader. I mean, we write stories about leadership and Joseph. Or Joshua, I'm sorry, Joshua. Joshua, his generation doesn't have a good, good reputation either because they failed to pass on the torch. If you go over to Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, and all that generation, talking about Joshua's generation, just talking about Joshua's now died, and now all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, and, and listen to this, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Why is that? Because Joseph's generation failed. If we don't intentionally we don't intentionally bring up the next generation, we will fail too. Here, here's some things I, I, I believe. If we, we will fail to reach the next generation if we expect them to worship like us, if we expect them to like what we like, if we expect them to look like we look, if we expect them to serve like we serve, if we expect them to learn like we learn. I think there's some things among the generations that are, that are very similar. And, and, I mean, everybody goes through puberty. <laughs> everybody goes through a hard time. Everybody, everybody, there's all those things. But there are things about the next generation, just like each generation, we've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to get into this, this generation's mind to be able to teach them God's truth? We've got to figure that out together. Parents, that's your primary responsibility. Grandparents, that's your responsibility. And then we as a church, we come alongside, we partner with you, and we help as much as we can as, as well to raise up this next generation. If, if we don't intentionally strive to reach up the next generation, we will break the cycle that God has intended for one generation to pass it on to the next generation. Now, the unfortunate thing is this. I believe much of what we're seeing today is because to a great extent we've already seen the cycle broke. That the church in America specifically in our culture, the church in America in past generations and even in our generation 
has gotten comfortable. I've heard it described as we have grown up as the home team, right? Everybody's Christians. They're, we're just supposed to, you're just supposed to be a Christian. Not anymore. In this nation, we are now the visitors. And we've got to do ministry different. We're on a mission field. And this, this, this nation is filled with lost people. And more and more, we are finding people who have literally not heard about Jesus. And we have a responsibility to pass on this faith that we have. And so the so what is this? So what? So what do we do? What, what am I calling you to do today? What are we calling each one of us to do? Well, if, you're, if you have kids or you have grandkids, then you be intentional. Share the stories. Teach the truth. Write them down. And pass them on. So that your kids know. We make assumptions as parents. I'm terrible at this. I make assumptions as a parent. I, I hate it whenever I, I share a story about my childhood and I get home and my kids go, I never knew that about you. The one that Jaden loves the, the most is that I stole car stereos for a while. <laughs> he, yeah. I should have talked to him about that one before I shared it. Anyway, don't do that, kids. Be intentional with your kids and your grandkids. Pass down the stories, the stories of God's Word, but the stories in your life of how God has worked. Pass them down. And be intentional about passing down the truth to them. But beyond that, there is always opportunities for you to volunteer. And this message is not about, we need volunteers in our student This is not, not, it's not what the whole purpose of this. We don't have booths set up out there for you to go and sign up at or anything. But it's something for you to wrestle with. How can God use you to reach into the next generation? Maybe through this ministry right here, volunteering in an area in early childhood elementary in our student ministry in some way, maybe you can do that. Maybe there is a spot for you. Maybe you've, you've hung up the cleats and said, I'm done, been there, done that. So everybody else is turned. No, it's not. We're all in this together. How can you be a part of raising up the next generation. Do you know how many students come into this place on Wednesday nights whose parents do not have faith? And they need somebody who will take the time to pour into them and share your stories and share your faith with them and give help them find that foundation that their parents are not going that are not giving <laughs> their parents are not giving to them. We got a bunch of them that come in here on Wednesday nights in our student ministry. And we need more small group leaders all the time be able to minister to them and reach into their lives. Listen, reaching the next generation must be a priority of our generations. I love that about this church. It's always been that way. And we know that here and just recently, we, we know that we've had some drops in that. And we're, you know what? We're, we, we are on it, all right? We're trying to fix some things. And I'm excited about where we're going with uh, moving some staff around and making some changes and future's bright but we invite you to be a part of it I love the closing words of my grandma's book she just simply kind of says, that, says this at the end she says uh, I hope and pray that as you read this book 
it has helped you to realize how we of the older generation, in comparison to many of you who read this, have lived our lives and that it will build a bridge of love and understanding between the past and the present. I love that. Build a bridge of love. Listen, if we love the next generation, if we love our kids, if we love our grandkids, every one of us ought to be trying to figure out how we can build a bridge. How we can build a bridge into the life. I'm tired of talking to parents whose kids were grown up in the church and then they left and they don't want to have anything to do with God. I'm tired of it. We've got to be a church that's intentional about reaching the next generation. How are you going to be a part of that? Father in heaven, God, we know your word is so clear that you have burdened us with this responsibility. And God, may it burden our hearts. May it weigh heavy on us right now. As we look at our young people, God, may we not just get, may we not be angry at the way they are, but may we be broken because of the way they are and do whatever we can to build a bridge to reach them. So God, help us as a church to recognize our responsibility together to pour into and raise up this next generation. God, we pray for our kids. God, lead them, grow them, grow their faith that they might have a faith that rests the rest of their life. May they love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.